0: I think self-awareness, the faster we can get to a true level of self-awareness, the faster we can be a bit more direct, intentional with our career. I think that the people that struggle are the ones that sort of like think they're good at something, but they're not, or think they have a passion for something, but they don't. So observe yourself, like look back at what actions you've taken. Ultimately, that's going to really tell you what you want to do. Caution. Listening to this podcast
1: may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis. And I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So, if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. With us today, we have a very special guest. Dave Fano joins us, and he's a serial entrepreneur and an architect by training. Dave Fano has built his career by creating high growth teams. He founded the successful building and information technology consultancy, CASE, and ultimately sold it to WeWork, where he served as a chief growth officer and increased the unicorn startup revenue 100% year over year for four years, and ultimately grew the team by over 2,000%. And in 2020, Dave launched his latest passion, Teal which offers a collective of resources that puts career development back in the hands of the individual so that they can pursue a fulfilling career. We're excited to have Dave join us today to discuss his journey and discuss his entrepreneurial route. Welcome to the show, Dave, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on. You've spent much of your life building company after company after company, and truthfully, Not everyone aspires to be a serial entrepreneur early on in their days. What got you into this mindset of wanting to build and move on from your architecture degree into the world of
0: entrepreneurship? I've pursued independence and autonomy for a very long time. It probably started when I was like wheeling and dealing comic books in elementary school. I don't think I understood it to be speculating at the time, but I would buy it for one price and I was very excited by the idea that I could sell it for a higher price and then buy more with that. And whether it was baseball cards, then eventually it my dad like really tended to his garden and had these really beautiful flowers, I started to chop them down and sell them on the side of the street, unbeknownst to him. And I probably did that when I was eleven or twelve. Yeah, you know, at a certain point I discovered my passion for drawing and making art. Then I started selling paintings and came up with like the sort of abstract pop art style, started selling those. And then I started selling websites. I would build websites in early HTML once I learned that and sold fake IDs in high school. Like it's just like I was always finding some way to be commercial. It It was this combination of like commercializing a skill. So I got really good at Photoshop that enabled me to sell fake IDs. I just kind of did, you know, I've always been looking for sort of career independence. And and when I have found myself constrained, I just sort of like find another opportunity to get that independence. And so that's kind of always been this oscillation throughout my career of like work somewhere, learn something, go do it on my own. Work somewhere, learn something, do it on my own. And so it's been this really nice balance, at least a balance that I'm happy that I've had of working as part of something bigger than me, but then also getting a chance to start something because I really like craft and I really like building. And, and so what I've discovered is that like my my medium for craft and building is companies and I and teams and I really enjoy it. That's interesting. When you
1: started talking about the fact that you initially sold comic books for a higher price, your career could have gone in many different directions. At first, I was thinking maybe you'd become a stockbroker. But it's interesting that you followed your passion for art and craft and ultimately got a degree in in architecture. So what inspired you to start off with architecture? I think it's imperative that somebody gets an education, especially an undergraduate degree, let alone a graduate degree at some point, but why architecture?
0: Cause it was what my dad considered to be a real job. I think like many people, I got a mixed bag of guidance and I was a terrible high school student. Other than an art class, I was able to figure out a way where half my day was in the art room and who became a pretty like formative mentor for me was the art teacher in high school who like really took me under his wing and, and helped me with a lot of things. Other than that, I really did. I figured out how to get into a work study program so I could leave half day and not have to be in school and go work. Uh, I worked for my dad at the time in his construction company. And then eventually I was like, eh, I should be in school. I'm kind of missing out on time. And so, but I still figured out a way to have the majority of the time covered and I took the bare minimum of requirements and the rest was art. And so I was a pretty lousy student. I didn't even think I was going to go to college. I didn't even know what it meant to go to college. I had a a, a girlfriend at the time who was like a straight A student in all AP classes. I was like, I guess I should figure out how to, you know, make something of myself. And uh, I went and talked to the college counselor in my high school. And I told her I wanted to make those like really cool car drawings with like the watercolors, the thick black lines, what I would know today to be called industrial design. She told me that was called mechanical engineering. And I went and talked to my dad about it. And I said, I think I want to be a mechanical engineer. And he said, no, you don't. He said, that's like people that like do a lot of complicated math and do like real things. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I want to be an artist. I want to be a comic book artist. And it's like, look, that's not a real job. And selling paintings is not a real job. And so I was like, all right, fine. I'll go to architecture school. You know, I was working with him. I understood construction. It was kind of like a combination of art and science. I was really getting into technology. I was really loving like Photoshop and some of the web things I was learning. My, my uncle gave me my first computer, a Mac with a big scanner, so I could Photoshop all my comic book pages. And so architecture seemed like a kind of logical progression. And I applied to a local commuter school, FIU. Um, I got in. And I applied to University of Miami, did not get in. And so I went to FIU and I did architecture there. I didn't even know there it was accredited, non-accredited degree. I wasn't thinking beyond any of that. And um, it actually really ended up being a wonderful education. And given my sort of lack of compliance tendencies, I never really went into that education thinking I had to be an architect. Never once did I feel like I've got to go get become a licensed architect it was just like raw education that I felt like I could use in any way I wanted. So I really directed myself. I would take every technology class. I probably, I possibly could. I took web development classes. I took 3d modeling classes, and then I took like drawing classes and and I did take like the traditional architectural courses. And, and then over time, figured out really what my passions were and landed on Columbia as an architecture school that had a very strong bias towards digital architecture. And they just weren't too concerned with like the traditional ideas of building buildings. It was like virtual architecture, paper architecture. It was very theoretical. And um And I I honed in on Joe Kaczynski as a teacher there, who ultimately, who eventually ended up going to direct Tron and Oblivion, these like very beautiful movies that had a mixed bag of of box office success. I went to that program because he taught the 3D class, and I wanted to go take his 3D class and like maybe being able to do like movie sets or something. That was kind of how I found myself in architecture. I have zero regrets. I think it was a phenomenal education. And I'm happy that I approached it with a sense of never feeling like I needed to be an architect.
1: It's interesting because it reminds me of my own childhood where, true story, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, my grandmother was an architect and early on uh, after I immigrated to the States, obviously your parents are kind of nudging you in a certain direction, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, go be an engineer. It's kind of the common pathway for a lot of immigrant families for their kids. And I was talking to my grandmother who's an architect, my parents were both engineers, and I took an architectural design class in high school, kind of had the science wheels spinning as well. So I pursued civil engineering. Unlike you, I thought I was gonna become a civil engineer and I knew very little about what that career pathway meant, partly because I didn't have the resources at hand to really understand what a career looks like in America versus where I was born, which is the Ukraine and having gone into the real corporate world right after finishing college, it was a rude awakening that there are so many other opportunities. I could have studied so many other things and your mind starts turning and you realize I could have done X, I could have done Y. So let's dig into that a little bit more because as you're kind of ramping up Teal and your new company, which we'll get to in a second, there's this incredible opportunity for a lot of people to explore so many different avenues right now. there's an abundance of education technology online. And yes, a formal college is a great opportunity. However, there's many ways to learn online, especially to discover what really resonates with you. So let's dig into that. What would be your advice to somebody maybe in high school, maybe just starting out their career to really think about how to make your career dynamic and realize that a degree doesn't necessarily define who you become later in your
0: life. Try to be as self-aware as possible. I think self-awareness the faster we can get to a true level of self-awareness, the faster we can be a bit more direct, intentional with our career. I think that the people that struggle are the ones that sort of like think they're good at something, but they're not, or think they have a passion for something, but they don't. So observe yourself, like look back at what actions you've taken. Ultimately, that's going to really tell you what you want to do. Because you can say things like, I've been saying I want to learn how to code for 20 years. But I've still yet to learn to code. So what I have done is I've consistently made stuff. And the medium concerned me less, whether it was metal shop, wood shop, no code platform, visual coding. And what I realized is like, I really want to make stuff. And I've got some sort of blocker with like text interfaces. I struggle to read. I'm a terrible typer. But I actually understand the logic of coding quite well. And I've been able to like decouple those things. It's like, wait, what I really want to do and what I've always done is make things. I make things like at an incredible clip. I don't finish things all that well, but I'm always like starting things. I said, okay, well, I need to be in, in these environments where they can be creational and I can be making things and I can be part of authoring things from the beginning because that really excites me. And that's energizing for me. So I'm going to try to put myself in situations where that's the case. And I think I excel in those environments. I'm good at coming up with a lot of ideas. They're not necessarily all good ideas, like probably one in a hundred are good ideas, but I'm very charged up by like the ideation phase. And I'm actually quite drained by the bringing things to completion phase where there's people that are the opposite, that you just need to give them a little bit of an idea and then they're off to the races and they will bring it to conclusion. I know that that's not my strength. I need to surround myself with people that are good at bringing things to conclusion and are energized by bringing things to conclusion. And they're often a great counterweight to someone who has a lot of bad ideas because then they help refine them. And then you actually together come up to those good ideas. So understanding like where my passions are, what charges me up, what are the genuine passions and then which ones do I have like a a natural, be it built or an innate. Ability to be more successful. Those things then make me feel good about the way I use my time because I feel like I'm making progress. I'm being productive. And so I think being aware of those things that, that charge you up, those things that like you jump out of bed for in the morning because you can't wait to do it. Being able to be clear on what those things are, I think is, is hugely valuable.
1: If this pandemic, this period of time has taught us anything is that time is precious and this period of time will leave an indelible mark on people's memories. And it's important to be self-aware and recognize what we care about. And it resonates a lot with me, kind of your passion and love for the ideation phase. I think I spend a lot of my time pondering through different ideas and obviously, like you said, One in a hundred, maybe one in a thousand are actually viable, but you have pursued many of them and many of them have been successful. So let's look into that a little bit more and think through kind of your first company that you built and ultimately sold to WeWork. And I'm curious if you could walk us through that journey and really dig into how you got started from hiring out a team to building out the product and ultimately going to market.
0: So it wasn't actually our first, my first company. And, you know, it's kind of like what they say, it was like a, a 20 year overnight success. Um, we, me, uh, Federico Negro and Steve Sanderson all worked at Shop Architects together. And, and they really did a great job of putting out a, a belief system that attracted like-minded people like us and all the other amazing people we got to work with there. But we very quickly realized that like the traditional architectural path was just not, didn't operate at a pace for us, and didn't really leave room for us to explore the things that excited us, which were the intersection of technology and the built environment, and then the pace at which like buildings work versus the pace at which technology works. So we actually all came together around building a company that was a precursor to case was called, it was called who by you. It was a local social search platform and it came about from us needing to find vendors and contractors to work on our projects and finding ourselves just asking people, Hey, do you know a good mill worker? Hey, do you know a good carpenter? And we said this, and this was in 2007. And we said that this, this should be online, right? There's things like Angie's list and Yelp and Foursquare at the time. So, So this should be like some kind of social interaction so we really left to build that. Um, we raised some money from friends and family. And that's the thing that we thought was going to be like the next Facebook. And we said, well, we only raised, I think, $125,000 or $135,000 total. Again, 2007. And we said, well, that's not going to be able to fund our lives. So let's start a consulting business at the same time that aligns more with what, we, what our day jobs are and like what we actually know how to do. And that was Case. So we started both companies at the exact same time. Um, we were kind of all working two jobs, essentially, working at both companies. They really had nothing to do with each other. And, you know, eventually Case started to pick up steam. And um, we had, we intended to leave over the course of a year. Um, we ended up all leaving within, I think, four months. Um, I gave my notice in... the middle of August of 2008, I think like after my first, after my first day of being a case employee, the world kind of imploded. Um, But then our clients started to pick up because companies wanted to innovate. They wanted to be more efficient. They wanted to deploy all these new tools that were coming out from Autodesk. And so, yeah, by I think by January fed was out and all of us were working on case full time. And by May of Oh nine, we hired our first employee and and you know in case started to do well but at the same time we were working both businesses eventually we depleted all the investor money and we started to self-fund who about you we were paying for it ourselves we were really excited about it the technology was we were getting to build very cool technology we just didn't know how to get people to use it and i'm still to this day like pretty proud of the technology we built but we had no idea like how to get consumers to sign up for things. We hadn't even thought about a business model. We were just like really obsessed with the technology and like the, the features and that it worked. And it was very, very cool. Um, but we didn't know how to get people to use it. And and so eventually we pivoted it. We brought in like a CEO to run it. Um, and we eventually shut it down. And we, but we're, we're, one of the things I'm really proud of is that we paid back our investors from Teal's profits. And so we then ran Teal which actually Who By You, sorry, from Case's Profits, um, Who By You was actually our introduction to WeWork. I would go and code at night in an event called WeWork After Dark that was uh, run by Kyle O'Keefe, Jesse Middleton, and uh, Matt Champagne. And that's how I got to know those guys. And then eventually they said, hey, this thing Case that you're doing, you know, I think it aligns with some of the work that we need to do you know, can you help us maybe automate some of our building processes? Um, but anyways, that's kind of how we started those two companies. At the same time, eventually, you didn't make it. And, you know, in case, which is what we kind of knew how to do and where our expertise was, was the thing that um, ultimately be ended up being, yeah, I guess, more successful.
1: That's part of the journey, right? You you can start multiple things at once. You probably had other ideas spinning in at that time that you might have not pursued either. It's just due to the fact that we only have so much time throughout the day, but you have created these opportunities for yourself by recognizing what's happening in the market. The recession just hit. There's a lot of different things that influence us that we can't control. That's another huge element of life is control what you can and then make the most of that time. So you, you went from case, you, obviously went on to work at WeWork and did incredible things there. You built out a massive team that scaled for years. And I actually want to put that aside and kind of think through what you're working on today, because to me that's the most exciting piece where you built out this incredible company over the last call it, six, nine months. I'm sure you were ideating on it for a lot longer, but it's very, very different from the architecture world, the design world and you are building something though and now you're building something to help people and you launched Teal I believe it was last November or October of 2019 can you tell us a little bit about that what was Teal what inspired you and what you're trying to accomplish right now during the pandemic
0: at the tail end of my time at WeWork one of the other you know one of the many things I got to sort of build which was part of the reason I loved my job so much was this new business line called Powered by We where you know we would go into companies existing space, and and the promise of what we were offering was a, a better employee experience, and that led me down a path of going deep on corporate culture and what is it that makes like employee happiness, and um, you know to the point where we we were you know very close to standing up almost like an HR consultancy because the space mattered and the environment mattered. But if like the culture and the engagement from the employees and at the individual level wasn't great, it doesn't matter what space you gave them the employee experience wasn't going to be good. So as a, for us to deliver on creating a world where people make a life and not just a living, like we've got to understand that. So that then drove my passion on like understanding like how people connect with their work. Cause I, I'm such a deep believer that when we have work that, that aligns with our purpose, so many other things fall into place. And I think work is just this incredible, endless source of energy for us. That doesn't mean we have to get paid for it, right? I'm separating like commerce and fulfillment. And, but the companies that, the people that didn't have that, no matter what the company did, that weren't going to have it. And so that then got me thinking, it's like, okay, how I want to help people figure this out. Cause like the times I've been like the most fulfilled is when I was like really engrossed in my work and it was like really enjoyable for me. How can I help people do this? And growing a team and managing a lot of people, I'd see that a lot of people didn't have it. i would ask them like, what do you want to do? And say, I don't know. Or, you know, what, 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 what excites you? I don't know. I was like, that, that's such a shame. Like every day that goes by that people don't know. And it's like, I think they can know. So I, I wanted to just like focus on that. And then I had a chance to kind of take a pause from working. So our second daughter was born and I was kind of burned out from, from WeWork and so I went on paternity leave. And as I was on paternity leave, I sort of got the itch to say, oh, I want to start something again. I think like, I feel like I've done my time here, sort of put up big numbers. It was fun. It was amazing. It's probably bigger than is suited for me right now. I want to go back to something small again and I want to build something from scratch. So I, I started to think about like, what what would I do next? And I did a bit of a, a process of introspection. It was like, when was I most fulfilled? When did I enjoy myself? I started to think about the time that I was teaching. After I graduated, um, I was a teaching assistant through grad school. And then I taught for five years after that as a way to make extra money. But at the end of the day, it wasn't even about the money anymore. I just really enjoyed the process. I enjoyed taking these things that seemed really unapproachable and complicated and breaking them down into sort of accessible ideas. And it was around like visual, visual programming, 3D modeling, animation. I loved unlocking people's abilities by giving them access to information that they didn't have. And so I made a, a video blog in 2007 where I was doing video tutorials, which are now like super commonplace. I was doing this with like the first release of Camtasia uh, way back in 2007. And I would record my classes and I would give away the content and I loved it. I really loved the idea of putting that stuff in front of people and giving people access to this information that they didn't have. And I started to think about that in the context of careers and my experience. And just like seeing the things that I got to see, like being in an executive meeting and a high growth company, navigating what it was to do an employment agreement, like how I managed people, how to work the corporate environment and all these things that you just, you, you can't get taught, but it felt very much like this information that would be like massive unlocks for people And that the people that do get it, it's it's prohibitively expensive, right? You hire like a really high end executive coach or you hire an employment lawyer or executive recruiters or a financial advisor that you kind of have to like make it to then be able to make it to the next level. And I was like, that feels backwards. I feel like if you got that early on, that could unlock so much more. And so I kind of just got obsessed with that problem. And I thought technology was the answer. I would think about all these things like, Black cars, right? Those have been around forever. They're great. Private planes, great. Personal trainers, great. Nutritionists, great. And they've all been kind of like appified in a way that a broader audience can get access. And they've taken off like wildfire because they're amazing experiences. They were just inaccessible financially. I said, I think we can do that with career advice. I think everyone wants a fulfilling career, but the tools to get those things and the kind of protections you would put in place to not block those things from happening, like non-competes and things like that um, are just inaccessible financially. And that's, I think technology is the answer. And so I want to build a platform that people can be a part of for life. They get it like when they graduate school and they shut it down the day they retire and it is looking out for their career decision-making and leveraging collective intelligence for individual pursuit of fulfillment. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to do this seems like you combine a lot of the things that you've done in your past,
1: from teaching at Columbia as an adjunct professor to continuously building out different things. And once you marry those two ideas together, that's where you create a teal. And I think you're spot on. There's a lot of information that has been commonly deployed through apps, through more formal education, but how to be successful in the corporate world and how to navigate the quote unquote corporate ladder is not a topic that's often disclosed in school. So I think it's great that you're building out this platform that will further help and assist people. And speaking of assist, you recently launched a program that's actually called Assist. So what's that all about? Uh, I know it's intended to help people, but what's the structure? How do people engage with you and how can people connect?
0: You know, I kind of just like mapped out our longer term ambition. That's a, that's a big, hard problem, and we know we've got to work at it bit by bit. And we tried to identify, like, when do people take a pause and actually think about their career? I think in the day-to-day, you don't. You know, It's kind of like eating your veggies. You know you should, but that burger's better. Or in my case, you know, a crunch bar. But there is a moment where you're like, wait a second, something's amiss. I want to re- recalibrate. And it's when people change jobs, whether it's voluntary or involuntary that's a pretty big tentpole moment in your career and people will go back to the drawing board and rethink things a little bit. And what I learned was people don't know how to job search. They think they do. It's like, I've written a resume, I've applied online, I've networked, but that's like thinking, you know how to do sales. And anyone that's done sales knows that it is not just that you're like a good schmoozer. Like if you are a highly effective salesperson, You are instrumented, you are methodical, you follow a process, you measure, you manage. And job searching is the same way. You have to have a process. And it actually is sales. You need to be a salesperson for yourself. You are the product and you need to take it to market. And most people don't think about job searching that way. And so, you know, I was lucky to work with really amazing sales leaders. I've sort of self-taught sales at Case and then worked with amazing sales leaders at WeWork and got to see you know, I, I was lucky to have sales reported into me and be responsible for it, but really all I got to do was draft off Nick Worswick and learn from him on how to build an incredible sales organization. And I just saw like, this is a practice. This is a discipline. This is not, you know, I think people think like sales is storytelling. Sure, that that's pitching. That is not getting people to engage, getting them to transact, closing the deal, the follow-up. All that stuff takes real work. And I think you can teach those things. And so it's okay. Let's take that mindset. Let's teach people how to do that. Because these are skills that go well beyond just job searching. You know, you need to use these same skills to pursue a promotion. You need to use these same skills to prepare for a performance review. You need to advocate for yourself, right? And that is like a discomfort that most people have is, you know, feeling like they're bragging. But learning how to humbly sort of show confidence and speak about your achievements in a particular way, that's what you need to do in job search. You need to pitch yourself. And so we said, let's design a program because it's not really about like another tool or another technology. I mean, I think eventually we will have those things, but first we need to teach people to think about a more proactive approach to their career. And so this is kind of a place where I said, well, let me not get hung up on the means of wanting to build technology. I do want to build technology. And I think that's going to be the thing that makes us accessible in the future. But what's the intention? The intention is enabling fulfilling careers let me not get hung up on the means. And so, you know, what can we do quickly when the world is where it is? And a lot of people are losing their jobs. We can teach them and we can very quickly put together curriculum. We can build a bunch of lightweight tools in very like non-committal ways like Google sheets and Airtable, and who knows what, and then we can learn what people will do. We can have customers, but we can really help people. And so that's what we did. We put together a program called career assist. We're on our second version of it where we did a bit of an unorthodox thing where we're having people engage in group job search, right? Job search is this very singular, lonely thing. You don't want to talk about it because you're worried someone else might take the job, but it doesn't need to be that way. There's a lot of benefit from doing it with other people and recognizing that you're not alone and feeling uncomfortable and awkward about not knowing how to write a resume or at least not feeling confident in your resume, not feeling confident in your personal pitch or your blurb, not feeling confident. And like, should I send that follow-up email or not? Am I being too persistent? Is that annoying? Lots of people are having those thoughts and they're questioning themselves. So being able to be with a group and feel those things and not be alone it has proven to be like really, really powerful. And, um, and it's been awesome. We launched it in, in April and we're now doing the second batch of cohorts and it's been a lot of fun to, to build it and see people succeed. First of all,
1: congrats on launching your business again. Anyone who's ever attempted to start a business can certainly empathize with the fact that it's not easy and you're doing something incredible, which is building a business to genuinely help people, which is often said, but not always done and put into practice. And during these unprecedented times, we've seen historical unemployment numbers and it might be scary and people might feel alone at times and you've built this incredible community of people that can come together and openly talk about what they're experiencing and feeling and what that job search process looks like for them. And truthfully, I've been laid off myself as well. And this was about three, four, maybe even five years ago at this point. But I didn't feel like I had the support that would get me through to that next step. And it wasn't as okay to openly talk about getting laid off So I appreciate the fact that now there's this place for so many people to come to and really discuss what they're feeling and going through. And some people might even be thinking right now, hey, this is an opportunity for me to potentially go down a different path. And it might not always be corporate for everyone. So as people are kind of thinking through what might be the next step for them right now, What would be your advice for somebody pausing in this moment, whether it be through a layoff or simply reflecting on their current job and thinking through what should I do next? Because the world is quite different. What would you say to them right now?
0: Yeah, I would say take the time to really think about what you enjoy doing. What's going to enable you to do the most of that and be very honest with yourself. About what that environment looks like. Generally, I dissuade people from starting companies. And I understand that that's super hypocritical of me to say because I'm someone, yeah, it's like, say, do as I say, not as I do. And that's not the case. It's not so much that I dissuade them from starting companies as I ask them to be clear on the breadth of things that they're gonna have to do. Because they're doing usually, I don't wanna paint everyone with this brush, is they're saying, well, that's my path, I have a deep skill. I have a craft and by starting a company, that's going to let me do that craft all day. And that's usually not the case because running a company is actually not about the craft and it's not about you. It's about building an organization that can do that on its own without you, you know, unless you're like a solopreneur and, um, that might be fine, but even still you got to go get business, right? If you don't like the act of trying to convince people to transact with you, then you're going to have a hard time being in business. If you don't like needing to figure out like commercialization and how to get money from people, you're going to have a hard time being in business. You're better off having a salary and that is a better commercial agreement for you. And so what I encourage people to do is to think about their career as a business so that it doesn't matter whether it's in the context of a company you started or a company you're a part of, take an entrepreneurial approach to your career. Do the same things that you would if you were a business and just think about that purely as a commercial agreement. Commercial agreement could be a salary. Commercial agreement could be ownership in the company. Think about what you want your day to look like. What is it that's consuming your time? And do those things energize you or drain you? So in my case, like the idea, the pressure and risk and excitement of building something from scratch is fun for me. I like that. I look forward to that. I wanna run into that building. For other people, that's not the case. That doesn't make you any worse. I think we kind of glorify entrepreneurialism in an unproductive way. What we should do is talk about the number of people that have taken on that risk and taken on that responsibility and failed. And being an owner of a business, again, sort of doing your own gig work and working like as a digital nomad aside, I'm talking about like employing people, is a huge responsibility. And I don't think enough people recognize that, that you are now providing livelihood for people. You're making a a commitment to do your best to keep a business that stays sound so they can continue to draw a salary from it, right? They're entrusting you with their career. And that's a huge responsibility. You know, you could say, oh, well, look, they're, they're grown ups. They get to make that decision on their own. That's not entirely true. Like most companies don't give employees full transparency to the business. They don't know how much money is in the bank account. They don't know what the pipeline looks like. You know, you and I have worked at places where one day it was one thing and the next day was another. And so they are trusting you. And so I think it's a huge responsibility. And so starting a company is not a direct path to getting to do more of what you love. I think do the work to understand what it is you love. And if starting a company truly gets you closer to it, awesome, do it. There's a lot of great resources towards starting a company. But if it's not, with that same energy and with that same intention, pursue an environment that does. Because it's out there, you can get it. And the companies that see that you have like a relentless passion for it are gonna want you to work there because that's gonna excite them. And you're probably gonna excel there. So look for an environment where you are energized, you are naturally set up for success. And if you can't find it, then make it.
1: I think if you and I were to rewrite the definition for entrepreneur in the dictionary, it would have a disclaimer on it saying, must be interested in commercialization, sales, business processes, accounting, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all the elements of a business that most individuals with a particular craft or an element for a specific thing in the world that they're good at don't think about. And that's a challenge of building a business is you're one moment the chief product officer, then you're the COO, then you're the chief sales officer and that rodeo goes in and around every single day. And that's what is the responsibility of a CEO. And plus it gets even more complicated when you have investors and you report to a board. So there's so many different facets to starting a business. The word entrepreneur is glorified, but you're right. Being an entrepreneur throughout your business is very much possible. And that's why personally at Career Meets World, what we're teaching is all about how do you think about your career, but also magnify the income that you get at work and then figure out how to grow it from there. So there's many different ways of being successful. And oftentimes people relate entrepreneurialism, businesses with high profits, high success, but there's so many other ways to do that. And diversification of thought and and your career is the way to go. I think you hit on somebody we both deeply respect, who is Nick Warswick, uh, who's a current chief revenue officer at WeWork. He practices sales methodology at a high clip, and he's he practices a ton of humility with it as well. When we're thinking about how to sell ourselves to a company and step into that world, how do we inspire people to... Realize I have my own personal craft. I'm really good at it. I've spent maybe four years in college studying it or maybe four to 10 years post college working in it. How do we get people to realize it's okay to sell yourself and it's okay to realize that I'm really good at something and I have to share that story with the world. So thinking about the difficulty of telling that story. What would you recommend to people
0: walking that line between confidence and arrogance is tricky it takes practice right to, to say something like i'm good at that I, I don't know where it comes from let's call it like a societal pressure maybe it's an american thing i'm not sure what it's like in other countries but it, there's kind of something even like just like it feels a little awkward to say like i'm good at this it's like wait you're bragging it's like no i'm i'm really trying not to i'm just trying to communicate to you it's like these are the areas i excel in and so like i can tell you like technique i use and I think I might've even done it on this call, not, not even realizing it. Is that like, I try to counter like a, what I'm good at with what I'm not probably not helpful in the context of an interview, like for a job, <laughs> but um, and, and honestly unnecessary, but it's like a coping mechanism for me to, to do that. Cause there's just something that feels awkward and I can't explain it. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm really good at this, right. You throw a really in there. Then it's like, whoa, like, really? You think you're that good at it? Well, who are you to say you're that good at this thing? I think knowing like, is there a way to like objectively recognize that you're good at a thing? Um, and you could say like, I enjoy, I really enjoy this. That might me, a step in the right direction towards getting a comfort level with, you know, talking about something that you think you're good at. And so Mike is like, I really enjoy starting businesses. I don't know, like empirically, I, I think I'm okay at it. Um, I don't think I've been like wildly successful. I think I'm, I really enjoy like starting things from scratch. What's that next level to get the comfort with saying like, I'm really good at starting things from scratch. I don't know if I am. It feels a little braggy to say something like that. And so, you know what, I've worked on language to get myself comfortable with ways to say things. Like, look, I think I generally excel in an environment where this is the case, right? I might use language like that. And I think it's understanding the person. Right? I think some people are more or less sensitive to language. I think first and foremost, just understand those things that you're objectively good at. Ask people, you know, hey, what, what do you think I'm good at? And, and be open to it. You know, I think that the big thing is like an openness to being able to hear those things. A lot of times people don't want to hear it. And I also think we over-index to like feedback and like, where could I do better? I don't think that's helpful because I think those things like trigger our amygdala and then we can't even hear it anyway. And it's like, you know, we're kind of like this culture of like, well, oh, give me the feedback, feedback. It's like, just tell me what you think I'm good at and let me double down on that, right? There's a lot of research that shows that we should play to our strengths. I'm not sure I have an, a strong opinion on that because I can see both ways. But if those strengths are actually things I enjoy doing, then I have a hard time making a case why not to do that. I know I have some strengths of things that I don't want to do anymore. I don't know how I got those strengths, but I have no interest in doing them. Well, then that seems a little weird because then that's not going to be enjoyable for me. But there are definitely some things that I think are a strength that I enjoy doing, and it makes no sense not to keep doing that. And so if you can't identify those things, talk to people. Talk to people you work with. And it's like, hey, honestly, where do you think I excelled? Because the other thing about being good at stuff is that we generally have blind spots for it maybe it comes natural and we're like yeah i didn't even realize i was good at that i didn't even realize that was a thing it's like no you're actually really good at that one that feels great to hear and two that might give you insights so so talk to people and do a little bit of like product development on yourself understand from others where they think you excel and then think about times in your career where you like objectively succeeded you closed a big deal you got a client to be happy you delivered a project and what was it about your contributions where you felt like you made a meaningful impact? And then you can talk about those things in form of narrative instead of like loose language. Like I'm great at product development. I think much like the resume advice that's out there, it's like, don't say it that way. That's not that helpful. That feels braggy. I helped deliver a product team. We took our deployment cycles from eight weeks to four weeks and we put and our customer engagement went up by hundred percent. That's just a fact. And I was involved in it. And so by association, I'm probably good at it. That's ultimately the way you want to do it. Like give it a narrative and fact and your connection to it instead of you bragging. That's like, yeah, clearly I'll make the connection by association that you were involved in that. So what I'm hearing is go solicit some data points from friends, colleagues,
1: maybe even family. And oftentimes what I found is when you do that and you think about what is the most fulfilling part of your job, those two often become the same thing. And then you recognize exactly what you enjoy doing. And it's a lot easier to share that with the world and be able to say, hey, I'm passionate about building companies. I'm passionate about helping people, passionate about architecture. And it's a lot easier and it becomes a lot more natural than when it's forced. And the other part of what I just took away is that it's important to understand that positive reinforcement goes a lot further than constructive feedback. I don't know why, and I'll admit that in American corporate culture, especially one that we've instituted in a lot of corporate policy, is that it's important to provide constructive feedback to all employees rather than go into the conversation talking about what is the employee really good at? Because ultimately, I believe that if we allow employees to focus on their strengths, they're going to have the most amount of impact on the company and they're going to certainly enjoy a lot more of what they do on a daily basis. I find it very peculiar, but I do believe that as people continue to build more education technology and continue to share kind of the secrets behind corporate culture as you're doing, we're going to open up a conversation around enabling people to really focus on what they love doing and how they could share their love and their passions with the world. So As we continue to build out this strong community, and again, I really appreciate you sharing what you're doing at Teal how can people stay connected with you and really continue to engage with Teal and everything that you've built out thus far?
0: So I'm pretty active on Twitter, at David Fano. If you at mention me on there, DM me on there, I'll probably get back to you. You can email me, david.fano at tealhq.com. And if you wanna learn about more about what's going on at Teal, our website is tealhq.com, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. And, um, and our email address is on there. They usually, they go straight to my inbox. So if you want to know anything, just hit us up and we'll get back to you pretty quickly.
1: Appreciate that, Dave. We'll definitely share out all that information to make sure that our listeners can reach out and potentially get the help that they deserve and need through the career assist program. With that being said, I do want to learn from you kind of what's really helped become your North Star in your life? Was it reading books? Was it mentors? What were the specific resources throughout your life that have helped navigate and get you to those next steps, whether it's building out new companies or making the decision to sell off a company or join a new company? What really helped you?
0: I think what's probably shaped my career journey the most is observing what I did not want to do. I think knowing exactly what we want to do is hard, And so I think there was a combination of like intentions and more tactically what I didn't want to have happen. You know, I didn't want to be in an environment where I was made to feel bad about myself. I didn't want to be in an environment where I couldn't have heavy involvement in creational processes Um, I didn't want to be in an environment where I was like micromanaged and told exactly what to do without a fair amount of creative agency. And, and I knew from like a career intention, I wanted a high amount of independence and autonomy. If I want to go fly to Miami to see my parents this weekend and buy the ticket on the last minute, regardless of cost, I want to do that. If I get an itch on Friday night and I want to go to the nicest restaurant in New York city, I want to be able to do that. At the same time, I don't need fancy cars You know, there's just certain experiences that I don't want to compromise on. I want to make the moves that require me to do that. I wanted to be in a place where I could live in New York city and my kids can have a yard on the weekends to work at. It wasn't about like, I don't need people to know that that's just an experience I want. And I'm going to be unrelenting on that. And I'm going to try to pursue ways to do that. And so these are kind of like intentions and I didn't get too hung up on the means I I take a very agile approach to how I've thought about my career. It's like every day, am I doing something that moves me that much closer to realize those intentions? And so I think knowing what I don't want and getting clearer and clearer on intentions has been really important for me. I love your thought process to that answer because we have so many
1: different distractions and opinions provided to us especially early on in our career, it's important to be intentional with the direction where we want to go. So thank you for answering that so concisely. And now, as we transition towards the end, I do want to jump into our infamous hot seat. So Dave, let's dive into the hot seat. Cool, Dave, you've done an incredible job building out more companies over and over throughout your career. But if you could do it all over again and restart and build autonomy for yourself, what would you do differently?
0: I probably wouldn't have given up on comic book artistry so quickly. I still find myself deeply passionate about comic art and comic narrative and science fiction, and I'm hoping I can still get back to it one day. Hey, it's
1: never too late to start again. So one final question for you. Uh, you are an incredible artist, you have that design mindset. Let's actually shift that towards food. I have no idea if you're in love with cooking or not, but whether you're in love with cooking or simply like to eat like many of
0: us, what do you enjoy cooking or what do you enjoy eating the most? So I love cooking. It's probably been one of the places I've been able to channel my um, my creativity and um, I've gone fairly deep on like barbecue culture and grilling culture. And I just got a kit to start dry aging my own meat. I, I love cooking. I, um, and I like like fairly simple foods. Uh, my family is from Cuba. So a lot of like savory foods. But yeah, I really love grilling and, and all sorts of different kinds of, of meat. And I've, I've experimented with sous uh reverse searing, all sorts of different techniques and i I really love experimenting you know i'll I'll sometimes like take three steaks exactly the same cut and cook them three ways to experiment on different flavor and so that's that's definitely one of the areas where i found like a release for creativity and and i also really enjoy the outcome
1: i feel like a cooking show might be in your future if that's something else you want to build out one day (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's like plan uh plan z <laughs> yeah it's uh on the back burner
1: no pun intended but definitely really fun chatting with you today it's incredible to see what you've built out what you're building now with teal and how you're going out and helping so many people right now and figuring out how to navigate their careers and What are the right tools and steps in building out the community? So thank you on behalf of so many people for building that out. And again, thanks for joining the show It's incredible to have you on. All right, Edward, thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the career meets world podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know, I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.